Welcome to the Gridiron Show. We are taping this on a Wednesday afternoon, and I am joined on the line by Seth Galina, senior analyst at Pro Football Focus, and I believe the best way to describe it would be the Tom House of Canadian women's football. Have I, have I, have I said that accurately? You know what? I was shaking my head at first, but as you continued the sentence and you got even more specific, <laughs> you were actually 100% correct. So you, you train, you always describe her as the Cam Newton, is that right, of Canadian women's <laughs> football? Yeah. She's basically yeah. just a two-way monster, right? Yeah, she she has the um, show that we're talking about. The There's going to be the um, World Championships, the Women's Football World Championships mm-hmm. this summer in Finland. And the starting quarterback for Canada is she's from near me. And so I train with her and she's like the Cam Newton. Yeah, she's got she's just big, um, thick, um, can run over people. You know what? Cam, you know, you know how Cam ran? And he, he wasn't like that quick twitch type of guy. Yeah. You wouldn't understand that he would get around people with, with speed. Obviously, he had the power to like truck people, but like he had like a, it was like a, almost like a, um, a smoother type of movement to, to, to shift people and stuff like that. And she's kind of the same. And obviously, she has a super strong arm. And, and, um, yeah, and and she's also a fashion icon. She's like a Quebec fashion icon. So <laughs> she <you go>. really? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Wow, wow, the comparisons continue. Um, yeah. So we're going to discuss a, a bunch of Saints stuff today. I'm doing this series on the read optional. People can read there, which is the, the somewhat interesting questions leading into the preseason schematic questions, I should say, which is just me trying to find ways to get people to read about the Saints secondary when it really has maybe no relevance on the rest of the season from a national perspective. And I thought I'd have people people on who know more than me about those questions and we could we could go through them and they could have probably better things to say than I have to say about the Saints but what I will say is I I cannot fathom just from a 50,000 billion foot view of the league in general how under the radar Marcus Williams leaving the Saints to go to the Ravens was I think having a dominant free safety outside of generational interior pass Russia is the biggest force multiplier you can have in the NFL on defense just because you can compress the line of scrimmage all the all the stuff that goes into it and the best one in the league walks out of New Orleans and goes all over to Baltimore. And it's just kind of like a ho-ho-mo, smart move by the Ravens. I guess the Saints will figure it out. And in his place, they go and get two box guys, one movable Tyron guy, one Marcus May, who was essentially a sub-linebacker dressed as a, as a safety at this point in his career. And they have absolutely no one to replace what was a very specific style of defense they ran in part because of how special Marcus Williams was. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, to kind of answer your first question about, well, there's two, there's two things here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as a Saints fan, even though I, it's been a long time since I lived in New Orleans, but as a Saints fan, and no Saints fans, we are always feeling aggrieved that no one talks about the Saints. <laughs> um, now, in the 90s, okay, no problem. You know, up till like, you know, let's say until the Sean Payton era, uh, fine, whatever, I get it. They weren't very good. But, you know, we're talking about a team that, that has been um, over 15 years pretty dominant. Um, and then especially the last, you know, five years or something, let's say since 2017, they've been, uh, you know, first or second in total wins in the regular season, maybe third, something like that. So obviously we always feel like as Saints fans that, that we're always being overlooked, that the Saints are always being overlooked in the national media. And then you know specifically with Marcus Williams and and playing free safety it's just you know I mean I don't have to tell you this you know this but like we don't see the safeties on TV that's it period end of discussion like we don't see them on TV the camera zooms in on the quarterback so we just don't understand how how important they are to to a defense and I would even say like you know I watch a lot of the coaches film it's still difficult to, to, to really have an idea of how good of a safety is. Like you really got to know because so much of the safety is, is a deterrent rather than um, obviously there are safeties who are playmakers and, and, you know, you go and pick a couple balls off in a season and, and everyone loves you. But like really the main thing is the deterrent. And I, and I remember this chart from the Legion of Boom era uh, Seahawks of where passes are thrown against the Seahawks. Um, you know, through a couple of years, whatever it was in the mid 2010s, when Earl Thomas is on the field and when Earl Thomas is not on the field. <laughs> and like the difference is, is incredible of 
you know, when he's on the field, there are just no passes thrown, you know, in that like 10 plus yards middle of the field area. And then there are more when he's not on the field. So it's like, that's, it's a more of a deterrent that you can't see that, you know, you don't realize that's happening until you have, you know, obviously a lot of data or just really good eyesight, which I don't have. So it's tough, but, uh, but yeah, Marcus Williams, He's really good. So there yeah. you go. The All thing, that to say, Marcus Williams is really good. What you can see with him, one is one way to evaluate the free safety is you can always get a sense from how they set up is what the coach is feeling about those guys, right? Where, where and where the second layer of the defense is, and, and kind of what they're wanting to run is how much faith he has in the ground they can cover stuff like that, and then you just go beat by beat game by game of the great QBs and you just track what they want to do. And there's all obviously this whole thing about how Dennis Allen plays Tom Brady and the, you know that has all of its own specific different storylines. But when you specifically watch Brady versus Williams as a one-on-one thing, he has no interest in getting involved in anything to do with Marcus Williams. It, they will have times because of how quickly Malcolm Jenkins last season could fly downfield because that was basically their setup, right? To him rotate and Williams drops out. Jenkins goes wherever he's supposed to go. And Brady had no interest, even if they had a, a, a route breaking from the intermediate level to attack further down the field, even with a Mike Evans, he just says, you know what, fuck it. I'm not, I'm not throwing that ball. That's that's Marcus Williams. So you can kind of get a gauge by going, Tom Brady knows so much more about football than me, and he don't want to throw near that guy. So I'm guessing that the guy's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, they, they did some specific things against, um, against Brady. Um, one of the things that I noticed was, you know, last year, they really let Marcus Williams play in that middle of the field. Um, because they really went to more of a cover one defense um, more than they ever had. They're pretty multiple, I would say, defensively in, in Dennis Allen's time. And then 2021 was probably their heaviest man coverage. And I'm not, I'm not saying it was like 75% of the time, but it was like, um, it, it was probably for them. And that just allowed Marcus Williams to play in the post, um, as we say. And it just fit, I also argue that it just fit everything that they had built there. Um, bringing back Malcolm Jenkins to be a Swiss Army Knife type of player, moving P.J. Williams inside to be another type of Swiss Army Knife type of player, and then having a really good slot guy and, and Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson. So, you know, like it just fit everything they were going to do. And then obviously they could play around with uh, other coverages. But I think it finally clicked for them to say, hey, we can just leave Marcus in the post for, for more than we normally would have done. And, and it worked out really well. They were a really good man coverage team. Obviously, it helps that you have Marsh- Marshawn Lattimore on the outside, but they ended up being a pretty good um, man coverage team last year. And a Marshawn Lattimore back to pretty much near his best, which was probably the essential part of that. It's weird. They finished second in EPA last year. Uh, and I don't think if you had conversations where you ask people who were the best defense in the NFL, I think people know the front is pretty dominant. I don't think people understand quite how special that group was last year, given how many extra drives they had to, to play as well. Um, in terms of both efficiency and explosivity, which is the, the dream cocktail, right? They had both. I think they forced a turnover. I'm trying to remember from my notes from writing last week. It was something like 13% of drives, I think it was. They forced a turnover. Yeah, I, re- I read that in your article. That's insane. <laughs> that is Absolutely preposterous. Insane. And if they're not doing that, then in success rate, again, they're in like the 30%, which is unheard of. You don't dip below that on early down specifically. I, I, to have those two things together and then have what I think he is the key piece walk out the door. I'm surprised people have not made more of a big deal just because of the knock-on effect of if that group isn't special, well, then they're in trouble just as a team because they're not going to have the offense and we'll get onto them later that will just carry them to eight, nine wins or a playoff push. Well, I do think that like, you know, so, and and let's not forget, it is not just Marcus Williams because it is Malcolm Jenkins too who retired this offseason. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the whole idea here is that we can replace... Like I'm not saying this is this it's it's ideal. Um, this also you know again it goes back to whatever you don't have the cap space you can't resign all your best players all the time. You try to and they've restructured so many contracts over the past four years whatever it is. Um, but eventually it, it, you know the, the it, it comes to uh, to a point where you can't do it. But I do think that with Marcus May they're hoping that you know. Uh, and I haven't watched a ton of Marcus May, but I would say that like when he was with Jamal Adams in in New York with the Jets, like if anyone was going to play in the post, it was Marcus May. Obviously, Jamal Adams, you know, we know he's more of a he 
can do a lot of stuff, but more of a close-to-the-box player. And that's going to be the guy who Tyron Matthew is this season for the Saints. So I think they're trying to recreate it. It's just like, yeah, it just won't. The talent level won't be as good. And, and honestly, Tyron Matthew is going to have to play a lot better than he did last year. So, like, I, I, I think this was the best thing they could have done given that you were going, you lost Marcus Williams. And then um, you're hoping that, um, you, know, every, you know, you're hoping that the pass rush is a little bit better. You're hoping that, you know, a guy like Pete Warner in his second year keeps taking the, the steps that you want to see him take after a pretty good rookie season. Um, Davenport plays better. You know, Peyton Turner gets on the field. So it's like you're hoping that other things mitigate the fact that you are losing as good of a player in, in Marcus Williams. That's the thing that's interesting with them that I wrote in that piece was that they, they got these two guys who both want to play close to the line of scrimmage and they were like the best light box defense in the NFL last year. It's like, hey guys, you can just play with six in there all the time. Go find someone who wants to play on the back end. You go through May's snap count and uh, I know what you're saying about the Jets, you know, that they dabbled with him yeah. playing there, but they just every coach he's been with has every, the more they've seen him the more they said he's not playing at the deep part of the field yeah. essentially every year that just drops and drops and drops and Tyron played 27% of his snaps at free safety last year and is, is the guy who moves all over the place I just don't see how they're going to replicate it unless they are constantly saying, well, we'll just be a two deep shell team for almost always. And whether that's got a rotation or not, we're not sure. And that is something that will just add those extra beats in so then the pass rush can get home and we, we just won't need to have, you know, the high post, you know, out of his mind player. We will get through it with X's and O's essentially. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when you look at, um, you talk about the, uh, the, the the Buccaneers games and you look at and this is not something that they did just in the Buccaneers games but like you look at if you take a player like Marshawn Lattimore and he is playing at, at a high level like he did last year like he did as a rookie then you can obviously allocate more resources to the other side of the field and you can play in these interesting type of defenses where you where, you know you, you, you take one of the safeties and you um, you know lean him towards the the other parts of the field I, I I'm trying to say this in a not too complicated way but like <laughs> you know keep keep Lattimore one on one on the outside and then and then lean everyone else and, and put more eyes on the other side of the field so that you can you can get away with um, just you know putting more bodies on on you know the th- three receivers or two receivers whatever it may be and then obviously they've been really good at that over the past you know in the in the Dennis Allen era especially since 2017 so you're hoping that continues but yeah I agree I mean you're going to see probably less one eye safety stuff um just because you don't have that player I, I agree I didn't think I think that Marcus Williams um is probably the best deep player in the league I don't know top five top three whatever so obviously you're getting into a situation where you're going to have to do stuff differently and, and anyways getting back to the Bucks game that's kind of how they were playing um, playing against the Bucks was really playing five over three you know letting Marshawn depending what side he was on but letting one of their corners um, play one on one and then playing five over three and, and, and allowing um, the defense to get bodies over there again it starts with having corners but then with the corners, which you're hoping are play good again, you can use the safeties in different ways and not have to rely on like a, a, a deep player and, and the two corners to deal with anything deep. And they've played more two-man than most defenses over the last couple of years. Now, they, they, they do the Dennis Allen thing of he just deploys that one thing for the one week, so he kind of throws some of the numbers out of whack. He just runs that a ton for one week, and then the season totals look look massive because he does it maybe three times during the year. So maybe that's the idea, is they're just going to split the role, as you say, between a bunch of them and maybe some of these young guys get a chance that the safety room in general is both hysterical and fascinating because they slide Daniel Sorensen in there which I know for you is like a personal war crime and then they also have Smoke Monday who has the best the best name he's my favorite player Daniel Sorensen is my favorite player in the league, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can you explain to the listeners why you are such a fan of Daniel Sorensen and why this is such an incorrect opinion because everyone else who watches football <laughs> thinks Daniel so, Sorensen is terrible? I, I Watching the 2020 AFC Championship game, uh, the Chiefs and the Bills, 
And, you know, when you play against the Bills, you want to be in as light a box possible, probably as light a personnel as possible, because they're going to play with light personnel on the field. So you watch that game, and the, and the Chiefs did a really good job on, on, on that offense that, I mean, one of the best offenses in the league in 2020, and, and then they win the game and go to the Super Bowl. And one of the things they did was play, you know, dime defense, putting, you know, more DBs on the field. And one of those things was putting Sorensen as kind of like their will linebacker, you know, getting a speedy guy there. And, and I thought he did a really good job in that game. So I said, okay, well, you know, there's a, there's a role for him. Uh, on a defense as a dime type of player and then anywhere else <laughs> anywhere else it is really bad it's when they really, sit him really on the, the half field island you're not a fan of that I don't know what they what Spags was thinking with that the thing with only thing with the Saints with him would be isn't that what Werner is for is he is supposed to be Sorrenton right they, they line him up in every single conceivable spot yeah I mean it, you know, you want depth at certain places. Yeah. He is a veteran player. Like I don't know, maybe him and him and Tyron Matthew have some sort of relationship where they need to be played together at all times. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it, I, look, you know what? It's it's like it's one of those things where it's like you just hope he's not on the field too much. Um, he's gonna get signed somewhere. It happened to be by my favorite team, sadly. <laughs> but, like, you know, he's a vet, so he's going to get signed. But, like, you're like, all right. And you just hope he's not on the field too much because <laughs> it's a liability. He, he's just not really good at many things. <laughs> the game of football, but somehow he keeps <laughs> getting himself signed. And, and I guess there is a real point there because the malleability of the linebackers for the Saints is, is essential to or what they do. Do you want to have a little bit of a love fest for DeMario? Because I know that, that he's... A, do you think he's the best? I mean, it's one of those inconsequential things, really. But he's, he's yeah. a great player to have on your team. Yeah. Everything, the thing, problem with them, and that's what's hard about writing the piece about Williams, dissembling the parts when it's all so perfectly built together. It's like, you're kind of going to make a fool yourself say, well, he's a top five edge. They're all so special as a cohesive yeah. unit together. Yeah, and I think it fits, like, everything that they... I mean, it, it really does start, like, the, the box the box and like playing with the light box and, and all the pieces they have there really kind of does start with Demario Davis's speed, his play recognition, you know, being able to go sideline to sideline. Um, and then in coverage, obviously being able to, um, to carry guys vertically and, and do all that cool stuff that linebackers, um, that the best linebackers can do. But, you know, one of the things that you know, you, when you watch the saints is like, you talked about like two high shells and stuff and, when we look at it like this kind of like new defense in in football with the two high shells, you, what you're getting more is like a three four type of look to pair with it, because it can kind of um, free up certain players to to not have like a single gap responsibility, let's say, and that allows you to kind of be multiple and being able to kind of have guys that are both pass players and run players on defense. Well, the Saints are kind of in that quote-unquote old-school type of way where they play with an even front with four down defensive linemen. They do play bear and stuff like that, like everyone else. But, like, they're based out of a four-down defensive alignment. And that means that, like, certain players, when you want to play too high, certain players are going to have to um, be multiple in a sense and like cam jordan great example of a guy who can play the run at a high, super high level still can even at this age um didn't think he started the season very well last year so it'll be interesting to see um if his age ever catches up to him but he, he finished the season uh strong so you know you have to play two gaps you have to do this if you're a linebacker you have to be a run player and a pass player and i think like starting with Demario Davis being that type of player who can do both things and kind of they can kind of get away with uh, certain things they do schematically which you which are which are not easy to do um, playing too high from a four down front in general uh, and stopping the run and being sound against the pass so um, it starts with Demario Davis I mean this defense changed when Demario Davis got here period um, and then it, it 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 unlocks so much so many more players um, like like the safeties behind him um, and um, and the defensive line in front of him he's just he's just that good Davenport too monster year last year 
that and they do a really good job of getting to bear post snap it's kind of similar to the bengals in that way where they'll either just do the little walk and stroll morphing front pre-snap and just get into bear basically stemming but with a walk rather than a natural stem or where you just plug so quick in the rep that it it's five post snap and to have a body type who can roll in coverage and be the plugger who, who yeah. flies that yeah. you, you know usually if you're going bare post snap you want Dante Hightower just cleaning someone out right that's what you would usually have or Jamie Collins or someone and you want the lighter body JOK flying the other way the, the, the special the secret sauce is getting the guy who can do both with that body type essentially and that that's that's what he does that's so great I wanted to ask you more just on Alan in general what what do you think makes him a kind of special defensive coach i think the thing i've pulled out with him is he has that belichickian thing of week to week will shape shift we just lean into it i think a lot of the the defensive coach in the league they get tagged with the genius thing as they're running a coverage no one else is running when that just is you know there's only a certain number of them out there and i know that vance joseph likes to get to some of them in, in weird and kooky ways but when you when you draw the shell up at the end of the thing it looks like what the guys would be considered not good at the job get the big thing I noticed with him running through every game over the last couple of weeks is the timing of the pressure packages are so outrageously good. And you look at his pressures with DBs and what they get from their pass rush win rate, basically, compared to the league average. It is insane how often, how well-timed the pressure packages are, and specifically with some of the perimeter and the um, stuff from the secondary. Is that kind of something that jumps out to you? Is just like his innate feel for the game? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I, I must have written that, like, I think after the first Bucks game last year, I wrote about what they did to stop Brady, and and, and I, I believe, I, this was a long time ago, but I believe that, you know, one of my ideas in that was just that, exactly what you said, where it was like, hey, we do all this stuff, and then here comes this specific, you know, offense with, with a very specific quarterback, and we have to do this completely different thing. And they did that. And then, you know, in terms of the pressures from DBs, you know, I think a lot of that comes from, like you said, a feel for when to do it. And then they're really good at at getting teams into specific protections, um, especially with mug linebackers. Um, that's been a thing for them for a few years now, getting into that you know, five down front, um, four defensive linemen, and then walking up wherever the linebacker is, Demario Davis in a lot of cases, maybe a second linebacker, getting the front, getting the protection to where you want it and then sending a DB um, has been key for them. I would also say this, like, they also, like, trigger the DBs really fast against the run, which puts a lot of stress on, I would say, the safeties, but they do a good job um, dealing with that. Um, I think Chauncey Garden-Johnson, kind of like in that like um, Mike Hilton type of idea, where like you're gonna tr- you're gonna get a lot of tackles against the run because you're you're not you're not tied maybe to a receiver to a slot receiver like you're coming and you're blitzing too, kind of like Mike Hilton as well, um, and that puts it really does put a lot of pressure on safeties um, to deal with the fact that maybe the the nickel Chauncey Garden-Johnson in this case. Um, would be kind of out of position or something like that on on some sort of run action but they get a lot of stops that way and they have again they have the safeties they had the safeties to to deal with those issues so it's been a lot of like it's again it's a lot of little things i um i certainly do agree that like you know we definitely make too much of the guys coming out who have a certain um like one coverage that everyone goes crazy over um because that's not how the game works the game is about game planning uh, on a specific basis. And I think, like, you know, I don't want to get too off topic here, but, like, you know, when Brandon Staley was doing his thing, you know, the past two years, um, person with the Rams and then the Chargers, it's like, we, you know, we, we, we all went crazy, you know, me, guys like you who, like, look at the game and schematically um, from the media perspective, we're like, oh, look at this. He's doing something that, like, not a lot of other teams are doing. that was one aspect of it but it was also just like he also was very good and this is always going to go back to this he's also very good at coming up with ways to beat the other team's offense regardless of what he likes or doesn't like or whatever it's like you your your goal is to not just put a defense on the field and run a play your goal is to is to you know suffocate the other team's offense and the best defensive coordinators are always going to do that we had vass on here um 
where he did his whole spiel about how Brandon Staley's not a genius one week, and then I think he came back on like three weeks later and he was like, okay, all right, I give it up because he watched the the first Chiefs game where he ran the same coverage. I think it was like 17 times in a row, the vast shot, and he was like, that's a... That's a great DC. He's decided my thing for this week is this. I'm yeah. leaning all the way into it. That's the game plan. If it goes wrong, we'll have some adjustments. But if not, we got it wrong. And we'll, we'll go again the next week. It's not about the fact that I've designed a front that no one's ever seen before. And aren't I, aren't I so smart? The thing with Alan, where I start getting tetchy now is, you know, the job of going from the DC to the head coach with the game plan specific stuff, which is where I think he has an advantage along with the Belichicks and these guys over your average DC, as we said, the innate feel for when to call the pressure. And I remember listening to a bunch of these Georgia guys where they say, we now go with one pressure call. The only adjustment is we're backing the pressure out. We're not having all, you know, nine different tags. We have the pressure call because we are going specifically for what we think is a tell or a concept, usually a condensed formation. And if they're not in that, we just back out and we're, we're playing, you know, drop zone coverage, basically. And I don't know how the Saints formulate and build it out, but their hit rate on that stuff is so wild that they probably have a similar infrastructure. To build in around those tells your pressure package, then be being bothered with the flight travel and who's coming on the plane and all that nonsense that goes when you you know he's gonna have to pick the right tackle or left tackle where's Ramchick playing he's gonna have to have to pick the quarterback will he have the time and do you I don't know as as much about the staff underneath him necessarily that, that you might does he have the time does he have the guys around him to still be able to do that stuff at that level or is that just the classic thing of going from being the the game planner to having to also be the head coach yeah, I mean, the, you know, defensively they lost some guys last year to um, to the Lions. You know, Dan Campbell was a, a, a you know an assistant coach on the Saints, and he took um, he took Aaron Glenn, and he probably took some staffers and whatever when he went to. So Aaron Glenn is a defensive coordinator in Detroit, I believe. So you know, they lost some guys, but there were you know the, most of the guys have stayed. I know a guy like Ryan Nielsen is someone that uh, he's an assistant. I think he's a D line coach. He's been a guy that's been his name has been kind of talked about for a lot of different positions. Um, throughout the league, and he stayed in New Orleans. Chris Richard came in there um, a few years ago, and he's been he's been there for for all that time, two or three years now. So they have play, they have people around him that I think, um, and those two I think are the co-defensive coordinators um, or like pass game coordinator, run game coordinator, whatever. Um, so I think they have they still have the guys around him, and then yeah, it's just going to depend on on how much. You know, it's funny though because. You know, when you look at Sean Payton, I mean, he was the offensive coordinator. So all you're doing is flipping and saying, okay, now instead of our offensive coordinator being the head coach, our defensive coordinator is the head coach. So I don't know. They, I would imagine, and I really don't know this, but I would imagine they have a pretty good infrastructure for these type of situations so that for 15 years, Sean Payton could could. Yeah, run the offense, right? And now, obviously, you have guys underneath him, you know, and Carmichael was the OC forever. He's still the OC, um, but he'll be calling plays this year, um, though he has called plays in the past. So, like, you're, you're hoping that that infrastructure kind of stays the same and you're just flipping the title, basically, from head coach OC to head coach DC. Obviously, there's more, there's more like you said, there's more on your plate as a, as a head coach, and he's definitely been there. Obviously, it didn't work out so well the last time, but this is this is always the issue here. Like, uh, you know, we t- we talk about these guys as, as bad head coaches and whatever. When it's like, for a lot of things, even though I just got finished saying that, like, you can be a coordinator and be a head coach, but for so many um, things, so many things you have to do in on this job. It's so different than being from once you go coordinator to head coach, like you said, there's like flight travel, there's like making everybody happy, there's this, there's that, there's all this like non football stuff that you have yeah. to deal with. You have to be like partly an, an administrator. And like, yeah, some people aren't aren't you know, gonna be good at that stuff, but that's like you know, like we end up in this situation where we're like, oh Dennis Allen wasn't a good head coach, so whatever. And it's like, well, maybe Dennis Allen didn't have a quarterback. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. That's usually like, the all these, all, all these, all these DCs. I always feel bad for these DCs who go to these places who, who have who are really good defensive coordinators, and they go to these places and they become head coaches, and then they don't have a quarterback, and then that's it. It's over. Like, that's it. What are you gonna do? Like, I, I, I mean, you can name me a big Fangio. 
Greg yep. Williams. Like it, it just goes, it goes Vance, on and on, on. I love right? Vance. Vance, and then Vance goes to Arizona. He builds something that is somewhat competent out of you know nonsense. And then they say, let's rip all the pieces away this offseason. Yeah. We're only getting offensive guys. He'll get hung out to dry this season, and that's that'll be his head ho- head coaching career probably over. So I. Yeah, and I don't think that'll happen with that. I think the infrastructure, like I said, and the players yeah. are too good. Obviously, <laughs> look, if, if, if James Winston is like the worst quarterback in the league, then yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be a problem, but I think they'll be okay. The thing that they must have, I'm imagining, because I, I remember him saying after the Raiders thing, I don't think he used these words, but there was so much bullshit going on that it's like, he can't just do Dennis Allen things. Now, if you're a competent organization, which they are, you say, well, he's good at these things. Yeah. So let's maybe let him do the things he's good at. Everyone leave him alone on Thursday afternoon so we can do the things that makes him a really good football coach. And given that one guy was there for 15 years, who, as you said, was doing game planning in the other room, yeah. they must have a bullshit person who handles all that stuff, where they just say, I can't, yeah, contact Mary, she handles the bullshit for us, right? <laughs> that, that has to be the way. I, w- I wish I had someone who handled yeah, that yeah. bullshit for me. <laughs> the thing that he's going to have to do, though, and there's no getting away from it, is he's going to have to pick the quarterback. He's going to have to pick, yeah. you know, he will, I'm, I'm sure he will devolve all of the offensive stuff, I imagine, but the head coach still has autonomy as much or as little as he wants it and if he says actually i want ramchick to play at left tackle because teron left or actually no i think that keeping a guy where he's good is the best way that's a decision he will have to make and that's just tough man it's just tough he just wants to be left in a room to do little warlock things and then get the salary of the head coach i imagine and don't we all uh (laughs) like i i do i do think that there are some people who and maybe maybe dennis island is like that i don't know I think there are some people who do like that idea and like of of controlling top to bottom, you know what's going on. Um, you know, I heard I, I watched that that um, interview with uh, Mike Tomlin on uh, Pivot Podcast or whatever yeah. it was, and like he seems like a guy who he was. And I will say that he was a lot of cliches in that interview. Didn't really say that much. <laughs> He's the best, but he <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, does seem he, like a guy who he wants says to be it in, in a way where you feel like he's. I would, I, oh my god! I would love. I would love nothing more than to be in a room with him and learn, and you know talk. Anyways, but like, you feel like he's a guy who wants that control of like the organization and stuff like. That. And some people don't, but they just get to that position because they're such good football coaches that they get to that position. So I don't know what Dennis Allen's. Um, you know where he, you know where the line is with him and 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 you know where the line is how good he feels with Ryan Nielsen and Chris Richard running the defense for him right like he might feel really good about those two guys and say hey I, I'm okay with taking a step back obviously we didn't see that with Sean Payton over the years um a guy who clearly I would say wants the control of that, <laughs> that aspect of stuff like that um, but uh, you know maybe that's Dennis Allen maybe he's like alright I, I, can, I can take a step back I don't I like doing these administrative stuff some people like doing it like whatever um, that's I, I don't see the fun in that, but I like drawing X's and O's on a board. But like, you this know, is maybe why you're he's concerning me because Dennis may like that stuff, but I know Dennis is really good at doing the other stuff. Yeah. So just lock yourself in the room for the week, and yeah. we'll handle. You know, I don't really want him wandering around going into the O line room and giving some hints and tips on what he believes is the thing. Maybe he is no, excellent I... at that, but you know, I know the thing he certainly is excellent at. And I would say, yeah. hey man, we had the best defense in the NFL essentially last year. Can we try and replicate that as close as we can? And yeah. if, if that takes us baseline to eight wins we just hope and pray that james is good enough to push us to, to 10 and then we'll see where we're at come january that's the goal man that would be amazing i would <laughs> now love this that. is a team that um the owner gave the president title of both her basketball and football teams to the same human right this is mickey loomis she said you can yeah, be the so. general manager of the pelicans and the saints at the same time so as much as i like to think they have a bullshit detecting infrastructure it's plausible that dennis has a lot of things to do um all right, let's do some offense because this is where you 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 love to discuss things. Um, I'll just let you riff on Jameis if you want. What what are your what are your, all your Jameis thoughts? Well, you know, it's so funny because the Saints were what five and one or something, and then he gets injured in the middle of the Bucks game, so they win that game. Um, like I said, four and one, five and one, something like that, and then obviously the wheels came off um, with Simeon, with Taysom Hill, with Ian Book. I actually really I like things that Simeon did it was okay but so now you look back and you're like 
holy shit, imagine if Jameis was, like, the defense was so good. Imagine, th- this is what all Saints fans are saying. Like, oh, my God, imagine if Jameis was there the whole season and, you know, they would have been in the playoffs. You know, they, they missed the playoffs by, by a game, basically, week 17. So uh, this is their, now Jameis is back. You know, obviously, you know, ACL is a, is a massive injury, but at the same time, it happened in November or October or whatever. And, like, you know, we know that we can fix ACLs in, 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 in present day, um, with present day medicine. So it'll be okay. But it, but I think about that, and then I go back and look at all my tweets about Jameis Winston as a saint, and it's like, oh fuck! <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't great. Like it really. I mean, like I think like you know when you look at like the efficiency metrics for the offense was was pretty good, but like he was turn he wasn't Jameis, and I think there was parts where you know you you you're Jameis and you are who you are. Um, you know, high octane. You know the thirty for thirty season, etc. And then you're a human being, so you hear all the narratives when you become the Saints' starting quarterback. About or even you know when he when he when he signed with the Saints two years ago, where it was like, okay, Sean Payton is gonna fix him. He needs fixing, and he needs to be more conservative and stuff like that. And I, and I think like it's almost like he he tried to be that guy, and what you end up with is 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 not throwing to open receivers down the field, which he's very good at. Um, but then, oh, I don't want to take this chance. I don't want to take that chance. And I thought it, it suffocated the offense a little bit. Um, and you're like, man, I don't know. But, of course, like, again, going back to it, it's like, well, it's still better than Trevor Simeon and Ian Book and Taysom Mell as quarterback. So you're hoping that another offseason – um, another um, year in the Saints playbook. Obviously, the playbook won't change. Pete Carmichael is still going to be the OC. You're hoping that it, it, it there's that balance, right? Because you can't go in either direction. You're, it's not going to work. You can't be Jameis, you know, Tampa Bay Jameis, and and throw caution to the wind and and throw 30 interceptions and whatever and take too many chances. But you also really can't be that 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 early early season stretch of Jameis from last year where he really wasn't taking enough chances, in my opinion. Um, because, like, the, the issue is always the same. Like, you know, when you look at Breeze and any quarterback in that same mold, I mean, there are not a lot of Breezes out there, but you can throw short because you're always going to be good at it. You're, you're not going to make mistakes. And it's, like, so hard for a quarterback to, to not make mistakes during a game. But I'd rather, like, but like I'd rather you take the chances because we can create explosive plays. If you never take the chances, you're not, we're A, we're not creating explosive plays. And then B, you're going to make a mistake at some point. So what's the point anyways? You know what I mean? Like, we might yeah. as well take the chances down the field. Um, and so I think there, there's, 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 Finding that balance with Jameis is obviously going to go a long way to um, um, to for the Saints, um, you know, competing in the division and competing for a playoff spot. It's almost a great philosophical discussion. You're, you're telling Jameis to accept himself. It's like get to where Ryan Fitzpatrick got, which he just said, "Fuck it, I am who I am, and I'm high variant, so I will lean. I will throw with my face mask being twisted yeah. into double coverage because I'm me." And I will probably complete some of those. And if I try and do the the pretty Brady myself down the field, I know I'm going to make mistakes. That's just not my game. And you said it perfectly because when he got there, the expectation was they'll take all that end of the breeze, confusing clobber, moving tight ends, and all the fun trap stuff. And they were way more gap-oriented in the run game. They had Kamara. And then we'll plug in this guy with an arm now, and we can get back to the Colston bombs away. You know, boom, guys open wide open down the field as Peyton always gets guys wide open down the field. And then he got there and he was just completely neutered. It was just like this, this, you can see him thinking in the pocket and not necessarily a fear because you can't see that on table. It's pretty clear what was happening, as you said, of just being purposely risk averse to either avoid headlines or even just from the meeting room. Like, okay, I know I make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to spend this year trying not to make mistakes and trying really hard at it. And it just sapped the thing that made him someone who's valuable to your team, which is that he would let it rip and that naturally backs everyone up anyway. And the big thing they had, they just had no juice last season. I mean, it was, unless they flexed Kamara out, 
they just like juice. And I don't know if Olave year one can do that. Receivers are weird in year one. You never know. What will Michael Thomas look like coming back? Landry, that's, I hate the idea of a neutered Winston throwing two yard outs to Jarvis Landry and then thinking it's going to be a yak season. It, there are so many different ways that room can go. Obviously, we don't know about the Kamara situation, whether he will even be available for how long. It, it's, it's so up in the air. He really needs to just get to a place where he's like, I am who I am, and I'm just going to let it rip again. And I think that Jameis gets a bad rap because of all the interceptions. <laughs> Such a dumb thing to say. Like, he throws a lot of interceptions. Like, not good. I'm not saying this. I'm not going to, like, compl- say that's actually good that he throws interceptions. But um, he's, like, he he really gets quarterback play. Like, he's not a dummy. He's really not a dummy. Um, he just, like, he, he he's, like, too, almost, like, too smart for his own good sometimes. Where... He'll try and fit balls in that he really has no business do uh, fitting in, and if you're, he's not like insanely accurate. He's obviously not breeze. So like, you know, if you're gonna try these tight window throws, you gotta be you gotta be deadly with him, and he's not always you know super accurate with them. And then there's a lot of you know my famous Jameis, my favorite Jameis stuff is when he'll come, he'll like look um, you know once direction and come to the backside or something, and then like. Just like, cause he, cause he knows where all the routes are gonna be. He's he he gets it, and he, and then he'll just like blindly throw it. And there's a linebacker standing there, and you're like, you're like, you should have just like not like like how do you not see the linebacker there? But it's like I, I know what he's doing, and I understand that he he thought that the linebacker, cause if I look this way, the linebacker is gonna take two steps this way, then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna throw the dig on the backside. And it's like, it's like yes, theoretically, but you. It has to. You have to see it first. Like it has to be, actually be there on the field. But I do think so. I do think he's like he is. He gets how to play quarterback and all that stuff. And obviously he has a strong arm. Um, so like there's a lot of good things you can do with him. You know, talking about the the, the supporting cast, it should be better than last year. I mean, last year the receiving core was like bottom five in the league. Last year, you're getting Michael Thomas back if if he's healthy. You know, we're talking about an elite wide receiver. I love the Chris Olave pick. I think he can he can help. I think he's he's a good complement. You know, um, at like Z or if, if Thomas is the X, then then he's a good complement at Z um, on that team. Being able to get the ball down the field, um, I think he's going to do a lot of stuff that 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 um, Teddy Ginn was able to do. Um, maybe not with that blazing speed even when 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 Ginn was a saint and by the end of his career he still had he still was able to get the get downfield um uh in, in a in a in an elite type of way um but you know Ginn was catching a lot of speed outs a lot of like comebacks and stuff like that toward the sideline which I think Chris Olave is really good at and then yeah in the slot it's like <laughs> I, like Jarvis is just not We'll see. I don't know. I I, I I love Jarvis. He's an LSU guy. I'm an LSU fan. Like I love Jarvis, but I do think like get finding ways to get Deontay Hardy on the field more because he's a speed guy who can really take the top off the defense is going to be important. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with the running back situation if Kamara isn't healthy because already, you know, I think the nice thing is when you look at Kamara early in last season and how they were utilizing him. It was like this was this is Kamara's offense. It's like it's he does everything in this offense, and there was a reason why they traded for Mark Ingram halfway through the season because they needed they needed that complement. Uh, and I'm saying it worked out because Mark Ingram was probably too old to be like even a number two at this point. But like, not that. <laughs> so now you're saying okay, we already have a bad running back room, and now we're playing without Alvin Kamara. So that's tough. Now, mitigated by the fact that the receiving core will be a lot better and, and Marcus Callaway won't be on the field. So it will be good. But, um, and like, you know, Traycon Smith, like just guys that just didn't work out to a certain degree. Um, and the O-line. I mean, the O-line is a question mark. This is, we're going, like, Saints offensive line for 10 years has, has never been a question mark. This is a big question mark. The, the interior of the offensive line, um, the two guard spots. Well, <laughs> Um, you know, left tackle, like you said, wherever Ramchick doesn't play, I, I, I think they'll keep him on the right, but like left tackle, oh my God, 
I'm not. Ex- you cannot like, stop penning week it's one. Tough. You cannot stop penning. That, that's unfair. Uh, you to can't someone start to do penning that. in his life in the NFL. <laughs> so I don't know. But I, I will say, I, I will say that they that they as much as I like, I didn't really like the penning pick as, as a player, as like yep. kind of a, as a prospect. But they did what they were supposed to do. They went and got a receiver, and they went and got a tackle, a left tackle in the first round, which they're supposed to do. They like penning. They know more than me, so good for them. We'll see. Uh, Penny, just even general, the to get the Ali Mar pet from you know I'm playing against guys who are stocking stocking shelves the next week to you know I'm facing uh, Von Miller and Ed Oliver is, is on my inside shoulder. Uh, to ask someone to do that in in year one, let alone week one, is just unfair. Particularly when your quarterback is, as we just mentioned, the, the indomitable James Winston, who we are saying the skill he needs to learn is the double check that what Matt Stafford developed, yeah. which was the I know where it's supposed to be. Let me just double check really quickly that everything's where <laughs> I expected it to be. Yeah. Now I'll let it go. James has not learned the double check, which will add an extra beat to his you know um, his release, and so he's going to need just that little bit more time. The great thing about Olave, as you mentioned, is that the smooth and the Christmas, he is just one of those classic margin of error guys where he's going to be so open. It's going to be, yeah. a, it's going to be a um, an Edelman style thing where it's just that the level of openness is different to everyone else, and so Jameis should hit him comfortably. But yeah, that line's the big one. Um, we can run through them if you want, but you've got Cesar Ruiz, who I know is another one that you know. Um, <laughs> Good. Uh, well, no, I, the one thing about Ruiz. Is here's a guy who played center in college, moved to guard, um, you know, first year, uh, two years ago with the Saints. Interior offensive line guards do take time to develop. You're hoping for this like magical, um, not even magical, but it's like a, you know, it, it does happen the third year jump. Um, it obviously hasn't, sh- it hasn't, like in my opinion, it hasn't shown up that it, it will happen on the field. But you're obviously hoping that 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 this is the year um, because it does happen in the third year for some guards. Pete, um, you're hoping for the what, what, fifteen year, the fifteenth year jump or whatever, however long <laughs> he's been in the league for. This is six of Brandon Thorne telling me he's going to change his stance and everything will be fine. <laughs> it's bad. I I, I cannot. For, it's like he's yeah. I don't want to say it. It's bad. It's just bad. He's just not. He's he shouldn't be. You know when the Saints were were dominant. Um, you know, in, in some of the peak years uh, when he was playing uh, left guard. And you had Armstead le- next to him. You had a good center next to him, whether it was McCoy or or um, Max Unger before him. And you had, you know, a good good play on the right side as well. Yeah, it was okay. If he was like the worst of the four, then it's okay. But now that the line has shifted around and he's, and he's like, there's other players that are just as bad as him, it, it, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, when he's the double and climb guy, fun time. We can all have a great time. I'll double off Tehran. It's great. When it's him and McCoy together or yeah. him and Penning, you, you're in trouble. I mean, McCoy is the second best player on that line now. And I think he's talented. I think he can be really good. But the health concerns is he's just... Yeah. And those are racking up to yeah, a point. I think he got better. Like, he, he really good as a rookie. And then in his third year last year, the injury really didn't help him. But he, he, he did play a lot better as the season went on. Like once 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 I stopped watching the Saints because I was so mad about like the nine game <laughs> losing streak, um, uh, he got he actually got better. Um, okay, last thing we'll do on the offense then. Let's do some tasting. The, the people who are the non-football nerds, this is where they'll come in. I'll timestamp this. They'll scroll through all the nerdy stuff and they'll, they'll get to the tasting section. What, that, what did Alan say last week? This is where, by the way, we get to. You talk about the running back room. I think PFF wrote today about trading for Kareem Hunt being a, a possibility for the Saints running back room. This is the stuff that would be available to you if you'd not had handed the most ridiculous contract in pro football to a guy who you admit cannot start any position in the NFL, but you give him all of the money that they decided to give him. And the guy who loved him said, thank you very much. I'm going to try and take $100 million from the Dolphins to not coach for you. Um, lovely bit of organizational self-sabotage. Uh, where are you at with the taste of it? Was Dennis just like a guy in a hostage video because he's seen the contract and he's trying to admit that he will find a way to work out Taysomel, you think he will really buy into the taste of it all? You can't imagine a defensive minded coach ever being up for this kind of like offensive bullshittery of trying to find a way to squeeze a fake tight end onto the field. Sorry, um, before I answer that question, I'm looking at Andrews Pete's Wikipedia page, and apparently Mike Mayak said <laughs> one of the quotes here is from Mike Mayak, and he said, Look at his body, look at his bubble butt. So. 
didn't work out very well. Um, no, the first right. round of the Raiders draft uh, over the Mayock Terror, the Clellan Ferrell of four. Whoever has the best, whoever has the best ass is getting drafted first for the Raiders. Okay, um, Taysom Hill. Love him as an everything type of player. Hate him as a quarterback. I mean, it's a, that's really what it comes down to. Um, it's just like like you either, at some point like you, you, we should have known early on that he didn't have it. But I understand, like, you want to work with him, and, and his technique was not very good, and you're hoping that the te- if the technique improves, the technique really never improved. He took, he took huge, huge, um, big, big, big steps, big motions in the pocket. You can't really do that. He was getting to the back of his offensive linemen, throwing off their backs. like, And then the reads weren't very good either. And I, and I felt like the the arm power was not good enough for what you what you thought this should have been in a sense like well it's Taysom Hill so he's a super athlete so that you got to be able to throw the ball uh you know a million miles and stuff like that and it's like it it's like the arm strength was like good but it wasn't like he was like it wasn't even as good as Jameis so you know what's the point um obviously there were issues of terms of Okay, well, should we? How much should we run him? Because he is our starting quarterback, so we don't want to run him too much. And with this and that, but it's like, well, that's what kind of is. Like, so then there were those issues. But again, tight end, special teams guy, uh, wildcat quarterback. Um, you know, split out as a slot. Like, love him. I think he's. I don't know. He's getting up there in age, but like, I love him as that type of player. Just like, don't ever show me him at quarterback. And honestly, they, they, they signed Andy. Dalton, so like they're not going to play my quarterback, and that's fine. And I do think that he would have. I, I think that if we never talked about him in this way, now obviously the contract is ridiculous, no matter what. But if we never talked about him in this way, if we never said, "Oh, he's going to be a quarterback," if 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 Sean Payton didn't think so highly of himself to believe that he could make Taysom Hill a quarterback, then then like the narrative would be so different, and we would just be like, "Hey, this is a really good Swiss Army knife type of per- player." Like, and yeah. that's it. He'd but be because Ricard we talked, or to, but, or, yeah, yeah, and it'd be great. Um, but we we talked about him in the, in the other way, and it ruined everything. The Dalton signing was hilarious. Was that the first one under Allen? I think they did that deal really, really quick, which was almost like the bleep you to the the idea of Taysom, you know, being Sean's pet project. And I don't know whether I'm just typecasting Dennis Allen here, but this does feel to me because of how bad the line is, a week four yanking of the high variance Jameis for the the good old hand of Dalton. Yeah, I could see that. Week five. Yeah, I mean, obviously it'll depend how the season is going, but like, well, but like, man, what is... I was high on Dalton. Dalton played with the, the Cowboys two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, right? And mm-hmm. I think when he when he went there, I was like, you know, this is the same thing, kind of the same thing we're talking about now. It was like, you know, if anything ever happens to Dak, then we're okay because Dalton's there. And guess what? Something happened to Dak. And guess what happened? He was, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> he was really bad. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, I still in my head, I'm still like, all right, yeah, Dolphins not that bad. Like, it'll be all right. And then, like, if it ever happens, uh, you know what? If it ever happens, it doesn't matter because I'm gonna kill myself. So, like, yeah, I won't. I won't be here to find out. <laughs> uh, what a great note to leave it on. Seth Galina, senior football analyst at PFF, the the man who coaches the Cam Newton of Canadians women's football. Thank you for joining us. Anytime, brother. 